Volume Two, Chapter Eight of Bungay Castle by Elizabeth Bonhot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. By following the cautious directions of Albert, Madeline escaped from the nunnery undiscovered, and, accompanied by her lover, lost in the happiness of the present moment, all remembrance of the trial she had sustained and all apprehensions of what she might encounter in future. Edwin, from a principle of honour, did not inform his friends de Willows, de Clavering, and Camelford of his intention. The only tax he levied on their friendship was to borrow a small sum of money of them, to supply present extingencies, and procure such accommodations on the road as would be most agreeable and convenient to his fair companion. About midnight he led the trembling agitated maid, unattended by any one but himself, to the entrance of the subterranean passage. With difficulty and danger they made their way through this scene of desolation and terror. Having opened the door which led them through the same gloomy paths Edwin had formerly traced, they narrowly escaped being discovered by the sentinels who guarded Meddingham Castle. Alarmed at their danger, they made not a moment's delay, but hurried on till they came to a retired and almost unfrequented road, where they found a man and horses waiting their arrival. These horses had been hired of a countryman, who agreed to send for them the next morning to a neighboring town. Though money was undoubtedly very scarce in the age in which the characters lived that furnished us with these memoirs, yet the necessaries of life were all so cheap, and the people in general so extremely hospitable, that it required but a moderate sum to procure accommodations for a journey to the most distant part of the kingdom, and, as there was then no marriage act in force, the road to the temple of Hymen was more frequented, because it was neither found so difficult nor so thorny as it had been to too many of the present age. As to the vulgar and old-fashioned habits of eating and drinking, they are matters in general, but little thought of in expeditions under the directions of a god who is too sublime to be satisfied with common food. Our lovers felt so little inconvenience from either hunger or thirst, that they determined to make no delays on their journey, but such as were absolutely necessary. They were epicures only in love, and, till they arrived in London, were perfectly satisfied with such repasts, as were to be procured from any of the humble cottages on the road, by which prudent precaution they escaped undiscovered, notwithstanding the clamour their elopement had occasioned. The morning after their arrival in London, a priest joined their hands in marriage, and rendered indissoluble those tender ties which had long united their hearts in love's most pleasing fetters. Too happy for reflection to interrupt their nuptial joys, too inexperienced, to look forward to the consequences of an union thus inauspiciously commenced, and too sanguine to think the fond delusions of love could but end with life, they lived for many days in what might be called the delirium of the senses. In each other they saw and possessed all that constituted their ideas of pleasure. Madeline was the wife of the enamoured Edwin, and he was blessed. Edwin was become the husband and protector of Madeline, what then could she have to fear? For Edwin was the world to her. Alas, what a pity that so few, so scarce, and so short are the hours of mortal happiness, 
and that the fallacious foundation on which we rest such innumerable pleasing hopes which present to our deluded imaginations the most lovely and inviting prospects should so soon fall to the ground and humble our air-built expectations in the dust as long as their fund of worldly wealth held out our new married lovers never recollected it must come to an end or bestowed a thought on what steps were to be taken to secure the continuance of that felicity they had gone such daring lengths to obtain but an empty purse soon compelled them to recollect that two people however tender their attachment or superlative their abilities however lovely their persons or captivating their manners require more substantial food than the god of love will condescend to furnish them with accustomed to affluence and not knowing what it was to be deprived even of the luxuries of life they shuddered at the poverty which stared them in the face and threatened them with absolute starvation they blushed too at their own inability to procure for themselves the common necessaries of life and felt some very uncomfortable sensations at being in a stranger's house without the means of paying for their lodging or accommodations to declare their poverty they were ashamed and to make themselves and situation known was to run the risk of being separated for ever as edwin had no doubt but madeline would be torn from him and compelled to a monastic life if discovered before his friends were reconciled and would use their interest to procure his pardon luckily madeline amidst her newborn fears recollected it would be no difficult matter to find so great a man as baron fitzosborne and accordingly edwin wrapped up and disguised as much as possible set off to find his residence and to obtain an interview with his two friends walter and albert he fortunately found the latter at home and in a few hours was by him secretly admitted to walter who flew to embrace and welcome him to his father's mansion making a number of tender inquiries after roseline and the rest of his friends at the castle he was both shocked and astonished when informed of edwin's distressed and perilous situation gently reproached him for not applying to him before and not having given him the slightest information of his intention before he married edwin made the best excuses he could for his reserve vague and unsubstantial as they were the generous walter was soon reconciled to his friend put his purse into his hand and insisted upon being immediately introduced to his lovely bride they returned with edwin to his lodgings and found madeline in a state of the most painful and restless suspense which their presence instantly dispersed after the compliments and congratulations were over they sat down to consider seriously what could be done and what steps were most proper to be taken to secure the persons of the new married couple albert strenuously advised them not to attempt seeing the baron in their present situation but to wait patiently till some plan could be adopted for their farther safety walter promised in the meantime to supply them with money for all necessary expenses the meeting of these friends was cordial and tender and more cheerful than could have been supposed walter repeatedly protested notwithstanding the difficulty and dangers with which they were surrounded that he envied more than pitied them complained of his own situation as being more distressing and uncomfortable than theirs and declared himself unable to support a much longer separation from roseline without the deprivation of reason being added to that of all his other enjoyments 
on reflection it was thought better that walter should make the situation of the young couple known to the baron without farther delay this he readily undertook for as the danger was great rewards having been offered for the person of madeline procrastination would have only served to increase the difficulties they had to encounter walter succeeded in his embassy beyond his hopes and soon prevailed upon his father to comply with the plan they had thought of for the better security of madeline namely retiring secretly for the present to the environs of one of the baron's castles at a great distance from the metropolis and concealing their real names and persons under the habits of peasants to this scheme the baron readily agreed and promised not only to exert his utmost interest to procure a pardon for them both but instantly to write to sir philip and lady de morning to inform them of their safety and situation and intercede on their behalf he likewise called upon them the following day presented them with a supply of cash for present extingencies and sent them in one of his own carriages to the place of their concealment where we will for a short time leave them only observing they were as happy as our first parents before their fall they sometimes indeed recollected the danger of being discovered and trembled at the thought but so much did they depend on the friendship and power of the baron to protect them should the dreadful misfortune ever befall them that they determined not to let uncertain apprehensions of what might happen in future prevent their enjoying that portion of happiness which was now in their power and the author would wish every one who peruses these pages to adopt and encourage the same useful philosophy walter from the time of his arrival in london till a few days previous to his seeing edwin had been restless and uncomfortable the first master of the age had been procured to instruct him he was presented to his sovereign and his introduction was attended with the most marked and distinguished honours many fair ladies in the higher circles were lavish of their smiles and many parents would gladly have seen him added to the train of their daughter's admirers and to lure him to their purpose solicited his friendship and sent him repeated invitations to their houses pleasure courted him in a thousand varying forms but he beheld her most seducing blandishments with disgust and stoical indifference neither the novelty of the scenes with which he was surrounded the flattering attentions of beauty or the variety of amusements of which he was in a manner compelled to partake could for one moment detach his mind from the fascinating rosaline with her dwelt every wish on her unshaken tenderness rested his every hope of permanent felicity and to have heard the sound of her enchanting voice he would voluntarily have bidden adieu to london and all its pleasures if he attended to the instructions of his masters he was actuated by the same motives and he wished to be as wise as plato that he might be more worthy to possess a treasure he estimated beyond the wealth of worlds noble young man would love operate on all youthful minds as it did on thine it would be entitled to universal praise and might justly be called the guardian friend of innocence the patron of every virtue at length both the baron and albert were not only surprised but alarmed at the visible alteration they observed in walter who often absented himself and when questioned where he had been and how he had been amusing himself hesitated in his answers and appeared at a loss what to say 
one evening the baron particularly requested he would accompany him to some public place but he pleaded a prior engagement and on being asked the nature of it gave so trifling and unsatisfactory an answer that the baron was seriously displeased and left the room telling him he did not like to be treated with reserve recommended him to recollect how much he had already been made a dupe to mysterious transactions and not to forget that he had likewise been nearly a victim to artifice before he knew guile in his own heart or person as soon as he left the room albert approached his beloved master and with a tear trembling in each eye told him he was to blame and begged he would follow his father and do away his displeasure by going as he requested my dear fellow cried walter my father's anger i could bear unmoved because i do not feel myself deserving of it but your gentle reproof has in a moment found its way to my heart perhaps i may be to blame but surely albert it is a little hard upon me to be compelled to stay in this place without being sometimes allowed to amuse myself according to my own inclination what on earth said albert with a sigh can on a sudden have made this change in you who so lately had an invincible objection to going among strangers lest you should fall into the snares that are so frequently spread to entangle the unwary i thought alons my dear fellow replied the impatient walter don't just now attempt to think you are a good creature but i can stay no longer listen to you i will hear you as early as you please in the morning would to god my sweet rosaline had accompanied her brother to london would to heaven she had sighed albert here is something wrong going forwards i must be on my guard how i proceed or my young master will be drawn into some scrape that may lead to mischief while the fair maid of the castle may be left to wear the willow now or never must be the moment of action a thought has struck me it must be so away went albert and i hope none of my readers will have any objection to accompany him in his friendly expedition he instantly hurried out of the house attended by a stout and faithful servant they were so quick in their proceedings that they very soon perceived the object of their pursuit walking before them after following him through many streets they saw him stop at a very good-looking house the door of which was opened by a servant in a rich livery albert hesitated for a moment what to do to follow him would have been both daring and imprudent and instead of setting matters to rights might have brought on greater difficulties he therefore stepped into a jeweller's shop nearly opposite the house into which the young fitzosborne had entered desiring his servant to keep a watchful eye he spent a few shillings and then carelessly inquired of the shopkeeper who it was inhabited the handsome house in which he saw so many lights the man smiled looked at him very earnestly and then replied if i did not think you were a stranger sir i should have supposed you were joking with me by asking that question for i thought all the world had known the jezebel who lives there you have raised my curiosity to a higher pitch said albert i have so long been absent from this city that i know but little of what has been doing in it and would thank you to answer my question with sincerity while i am looking over the things i want to purchase no man replied the complacent shopkeeper is happier to please his customers than i am or more grateful for favors received but as one person's money is as good as another's and as i take a pretty round sum every year from the fair inhabitants of that house i have no business to be telling of their frailties 
however, if I can oblige you, sir, and you will promise me to be secret, and not bring my name in question. Albert now became more and more eager to obtain the wished-for intelligence, and not only promised all that he had requested, but to reward him for his trouble by recommending his shop to some friends who had it greatly in their powers to serve him. This at once put an end to the honest jeweler's reserve, for though he would not voluntarily have told a scandalous tale of any one, yet he saw no objection to speaking the truth when he could serve himself by so doing. "'Please, Your Honour,' he began, for he took it into his head at that moment that Albert was a great man. "'In that house lives the noted Mrs. C., who keeps so many fine young women that all the fine young men of the age are fond of obtaining admittance.' though for that indulgence they often sacrifice health, fortune, and even life itself. Ah, God knows I have seen sad doings, and many a one have I wished might escape the plans laid for their destruction. But if the devil himself were to fall into her clutches, I think he would be puzzled to effect his escape. Has she many visitors just now? interrupted Albert. As to their number, that is impossible for me to ascertain but of this I am positive. She is never without some, and at this very time I think there is something extraordinary going on, for one of her nymphs came this morning to purchase a wedding ring, and on my joking her a little on the subject, she said it was not for herself, but Miss C., daughter to the old hag, who was a lovely girl and well known upon the town. On my expressing myself happy to hear she was going to marry and become an honest woman, the girl burst into a violent fit of laughter, and called me a puritanical hypocrite. "'Let Catherine once become a wife,' said she, "'and then we shall see who will dare to call her virtue in question. "'She will, I hope, before to-morrow night be married to the only son "'of one of the wealthiest barons in the kingdom, "'a young nobleman who knows so little of the world "'that it is absolutely necessary he should have a wife who can instruct him.' and I know no one better able to undertake the task than the daughter of Mrs. C. Albert with difficulty concealed his agitation at hearing this alarming tale. Recovering himself, however, he inquired of his informer if he recollected the name of the young gentleman. After a moment's hesitation, the jeweler replied, The name was twice repeated, but it ran so glibly off the lady's tongue that I have since forgotten it. "'Should you know it again?' asked Albert, who, on the jeweler's answering that he thought he should, mentioned several, to all of which a negative was given. At length Fitzosborne was introduced. "'The very person!' cried the jeweler. "'The baron has but one son, and him, as this girl told me, he has but lately found, but he is such an idiot, and so easily imposed on, that, upon my soul, were I his father, I should think him better lost than found.' The jeweler might have gone on with his observations as long as he pleased, had not his distressed auditor recollected the danger in which, perhaps, his beloved young master was at that moment involved. He started up, and catching hold of his companion's hand, told him he must that moment go with him. The man drew back. Albert perceived the folly of his abruptness, and making some apologies informed the astonished jeweler that the business on which he was going would admit of no delay that if he would accompany him, lend his assistance, and procure two or three spirited young men to be of the party, he should be well rewarded for his trouble, and would have reason to bless the day chance directed him to his shop. 
this promise was a sufficient temptation to a tradesman who had a large family little money and few friends he summoned some of his men from an adjoining workshop and thus attended albert sallied into the street his servant who was in waiting informed his master a priest had just been admitted into the house he was watching and that he had seen the young lord at the window with a beautiful woman hanging on his arm who appeared to be in tears this intelligence made them hurry on albert rapped at the door requesting the others to keep out of sight till he was secure of obtaining admittance a servant soon appeared albert inquired if his mistress were at home the fellow replied that his lady was then particularly engaged and could not be spoken to adding he might call again in the morning the morning will not do my friend i must see your mistress this evening said albert my business is quite as particular i believe as that in which she may be engaged therefore make way and let me come in the fellow attempted to shut the door but the posse in waiting on being beckoned by albert came to his assistance and they all rushed into the house albert the jeweller and the rest of the party except one who was left to guard the fellow at the door went as gently as possible up a spacious staircase they heard voices at a distance and were directed by the sound to a door of the apartment which contained the party who appeared to be engaged in a warm dispute at times they could distinguish female voices and very soon albert heard that of his beloved master exalted to its highest pitch this at once determined him to open the door but he found it fastened with inside he then loudly demanded admittance a female scream was all the answer he received again he called some one then asked what he wanted adding whoever it was that intruded on them so rudely must wait till another opportunity wait no longer cried walter but force the door i know not but my life may be endangered the door was instantly burst open what a scene presented itself walter with a face pale as ashes and apparently in the utmost confusion was endeavouring to disengage himself from the embraces of a young woman who had fallen at his feet and clasped her arms around him the priest held a prayer-book in his hand which was opened at the matrimonial service a fierce-looking man in a naval uniform the old procuress and another of her nymphs completed the group the instant walter saw his friend enter the apartment by a desperate effort he disengaged himself from the siren who had held him captive flew to albert and brandishing his sword called upon the wretch who had endeavoured to inveigle him into a forced marriage to draw and receive the reward of his treachery but albert ordered the culprit to be secured and requested walter not to stain the purity of his sword with the blood of such a villain during this contest the women and the priests sneaked out of the room unobserved and though the strictest search was made throughout the house not a creature could be found in it that belonged to the family but the servant who admitted them and who had been prevented following the rest by the person left to guard him albert insisted before he left the house on sending for proper officers to take the prisoners into custody but walter who wished this affair to be kept as secret as possible entreated with so much earnestness on the villain's making a promise of amendment and leaving the kingdom to have him liberated that his friend after a little hesitation complied on condition that the two fellows should be left bound in different apartments till the vile mistress of the house or some of her associates 
should venture to return the honest jeweller was entreated to be secret and promised an ample recompense his people were liberally paid and albert with an exulting heart attended home his agitated friend who after recovering his spirits in some degree gave him the following account of the circumstances which had drawn him into a situation that might have been as fatal to his peace as they would have been disgraceful to his character had not his guardian friend arrived in time to prevent the threatened danger the whole of which he was now convinced had been planned for the purpose of drawing him into marriage resting their hopes of success on his ignorance of the world i take shame to myself dear albert said the grateful walter for not informing you this evening of my engagement which you who know the strength of my attachment to the charming roseline will not suppose was meant to be of the nature it proved i knew not that the worthless woman whose daughter it has been my ill luck frequently to meet at several public places was of so despicable a character chance or as i now suspect design has likewise frequently thrown her in my way in my morning rambles but what induced me to visit her at her mother's house was the having found her one evening in the passage of the playhouse waiting the arrival of her carriage in the greatest distress and what served to add to it was the behaviour of two or three young men who said some very rude things to her in my hearing for which i chastised them with my cane and the frightened fair one fainted in my arms as soon as i had driven them away i suppose they had been led to insult her by having made too free with the bottle but they doubtless knew her well enough to discover her designs against me when she recovered from the fit into which i imagined they had terrified her i could do no less than see her home and when i called the next morning i was introduced to her mother whose unbounded gratitude and flattering acknowledgments for the trifling service i had rendered her sweet and amiable daughter overwhelmed me with confusion and convinced her i was a fool exactly suited to her purpose being always received with the utmost politeness and seeing nothing in the conduct or behaviour of either mother or daughter to excite suspicion i continued to call upon them whenever i chanced to pass that way and was in the humour to wish for conversation they boasted of being an ancient family in the north of england appeared to live in credit and affluence treated me with the utmost hospitality and pressed me so warmly to make them frequent visits that i promised to comply with their request because i suppose by so doing i was removing a weight of obligation from their minds which seemed to give them pain once or twice it happened when i called that the young lady had walked out and the mother said a good deal about the mortification it would be to her to be told at her return i had called upon them in her absence but this till about two hours ago i considered as being the effusions of gratitude and how inquired albert were you at length undeceived by her mother continued walter who after some little hesitation with an appeal to my honour and humanity to excuse the weakness of a fond parent informed me of the passion i unfortunately and as she feared undesignedly had inspired in the bosom of her daughter a passion she much doubted she would never be able to subdue adding that just before my arrival she had by mere force compelled her to walk out for air as she saw with heartfelt distress the ravages despair had made in the constitution of her inestimable child i lamented the consequences of my introduction and added i would no more venture into a family whose peace i had disturbed 
acknowledged a prior engagement, and was about to quit the house, when the old lady entreated me earnestly not to adopt a measure so cruel and unjust. I therefore promised to call again, and receiving an invitation for this evening, accepted it, but did not suppose them the kind of people they have proved. "'Had you no suspicion of their character?' asked Albert. "'None, by heaven,' replied Walter. "'I never saw the least appearance of indecency, or even levity, and heard no conversation that would have offended the nice ear of a Rosaline de Morny.' "'The scheme was deeply laid,' said Albert. "'Pray proceed. I am impatient to know how you were received this evening.' First, by the mother,' continued Walter, who appeared in the greatest distress. On my inquiring the cause, she said she had informed Catherine of what had passed between us, that on being told I was engaged, she fainted several times, and before she recovered, her nephew, who was just returned from abroad, called at the house. This young man, she said, had been long passionately attached to her, that on seeing the situation of his cousin, he was necessarily informed of the cause, was now with her and had so earnestly entreated to have the honour of being introduced to me that she could not find resolution to deny his request. I will confess to you, my dear Albert, I now began to suspect some design was formed against me. But of what nature I was still at a loss to conjecture. Luckily I had put on my sword, and I determined if they attempted to confine or ill-treat me, to sell my life as dearly as I could. However, it was not my life they wanted— they had a more ambitious and less dangerous scheme in view. In a little time the lady, drowned in tears, and with well-acted distress, entered the room accompanied by her cousin, as the mother had called him. The gentleman chose to put on a fierce and threatening look, and swore I should do justice to his charming cousin, whom he loved more than life, or that moment settled the matter with him as a gentleman ought to do. I laid my hand on my sword. Catherine flew to me, fell at my feet, and begged I would not terrify her to death by exposing a life so dear to the risk of fighting with her cousin. She then lamented her weakness, and entreated me to compassionate the sorrows in which I had involved her. I loudly demanded what all this meant, declared I had no design against her heart, nor any desire to be favoured with her hand, my own having been long engaged to the best and fairest of her sex, and to whom alone all my wishes were confined. The gentleman again approached me. The lady chose to fall into a fit, and was supported by her female accomplices. A priest at that moment entered the room. "'You are come in good time,' said the pretended cousin, "'to assist us in performing an act of justice.' The young lady at that instant recovered, and seeing her coming to me, I flew to the window, with an intention of opening it to call for assistance, and on finding it fastened, had no longer any doubts of their premeditated designs against my peace. I therefore shook off the fair siren, who had clasped her hands around my arm, and with tears and all the blandishments of artful beauty, besought me to have compassion on her sufferings, and made an effort to get out at the door. That was likewise fastened. I then eagerly inquired for what base purpose I was thus forcibly detained, and what it was they wanted with me. "'Justice,' replied the bully. "'Justice only. "'Reverend Father,' said he, addressing himself to the priest, "'this fair damsel has been robbed of her peace. "'Her virgin fame must be lost in consequence, "'unless that youth, pointed to me, 
will make her reparation by giving her his hand in marriage. It is to join them in holy wedlock we sent for you. I was now enraged too much, continued Walter, to have longer any command over my passion. I drew my sword and vowed to sacrifice any one who should dare to prevent my leaving the infamous house into which I had been so artfully and basely trepanned. The women now clung about me, while their bully endeavoured but in vain to wrest my sword from me. He then commanded the priest to do his office, and I know not at that moment what act of desperation I might not have committed, had not you, my guardian, friend, and preserver, luckily burst into the room, and prevented my ending that life in a brothel which you protected so many years in a dungeon. Albert embraced his young lord with tears of gratified affection. Long, very long, cried he, may your life be guarded from every danger, and never experience a fate so disgraceful. I will inform the baron of what has passed. He will very soon bring these wretches to the shame and punishment they so justly deserve. Not for worlds, my good Albert, would I have the story transpire, said Walter. I already know enough of human nature to be satisfied that the recital of it would not only bring my father's displeasure upon me, but likewise the ridicule of the world. Be assured of this. I will never again run the risk of being drawn into danger by forming an acquaintance with people, however specious their appearance, without their being well known to my father or yourself. All I beg of you is to join me in interceding with the baron for permission to return to Bungay Castle. I will there wait his pleasure, without murmur or complaint, for the accomplishment of all my wishes. With Rosaline de Morny I cannot be unhappy. Without her my soul can know no peace. Albert promised to do what he could with the baron, but requested his young lord not to be too sanguine in his hopes of prevailing on him to consent to his leaving London, till the time was expired that he had fixed for his stay, and on his promising not to offend him by disputing his will as to the length of his continuance in town, he agreed to conceal this unpleasant adventure from the baron, strongly recommending him to be more guarded in future, and never to let his own unsuspecting nature lead him to conclude that the people he mixed with were as good and as artless as himself. End of chapter 8 Recording by Patty Cunningham.